All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm John. I'm Dan. And uh, we're back after a lengthy delay in recordings. Uh, We were just trying to figure out the last time we recorded one of these episodes. And I believe it was right before the first LaSalle game, uh, before the Oreo competitions of LaSalle and Bonaventure, um, like that weird sandwich of games. Um, So it's been a while since we've gotten on the podcast and equipment and talked about SLU basketball. But we figured uh, since postseason play is supposed to start in the next couple of days here, that it would only be right for us to record an episode, kind of talk about the season so far, the conference tournament, talk a little bit of NIT, maybe some NCAA tournament talk sprinkled in there too, and just kind of some general basketball things. So with uh, that being said, Dan, how are we, uh, how are we doing? We're doing okay. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot to like at the end of the season um, and um, a lot to not like so much. A uh, little bit of a mixed bag since our last recording. Um, losing a couple times to Bona, losing to Davidson, you know, ho-hum, and then blowing that lead at Richmond. I mean, but but a nice win against VCU, uh, a nice win in D.C. against Bona, a um, couple of pretty much blowouts against LaSalle. So, I mean, they did a lot well. They did a lot poorly. There are areas that they can, that they can work on, and I'm glad to – hopefully see pretty much this entire group back next year. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, just as kind of a, you know, mile high view of where the season was. So ended up finishing the regular season fifth in the Atlantic 10. They finished a half game back from St. Bonaventure. Um, St. Bonaventure owned the tiebreaker, uh, but they also had a game in hand because the GW game that they had scheduled was never made up. So there was a little bit of an unbalanced conference schedule played, but like I said, didn't matter because Bonaventure beat Slew both times in the regular season. Slew finished 12 and six in conference um, in a A-10 year that I think the consensus, what it was, it was down. Uh, Bonaventure was the preseason favorite and, you know, didn't really perform up to the standard they were expected. Davidson, after being picked, I believe sixth in the preseason, uh, ended up winning the conference. They won by a game over Dayton, if I remember correctly. SLU, uh, including the conference tournaments, is sitting at 23 and 11 um, with some good losses, but also some opportunities that got away. Uh, We all know about UAB, Belmont, and Auburn from the regular season, uh, or from non-conference, my apologies, but also both Bonaventure games, they kind of let opportunities slip away there. Uh, And then at Richmond, I think that was kind of the real last killer Um, Richmond kind of was in the middle of a hot streak that they've rode all the way now to an NCAA tournament appearance as they just beat Davidson in the conference tournament. So the A-10 ended up being a two-bid league. SLU didn't finish where I believe, you know, we expected them at the start of the season, uh, including Javante. But, you know, sitting here today, I don't know if you agree with this, Dan, but if you would have told me that this is where the team would have ended up after Javante's injury, I think this is about what, what I would have expected. Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me when he goes down for the year that they're going to sit there and have a, have an NIT bid, get to the uh, A-10 tournament semis, I mean, that's a pretty good year. I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that, but, I mean, when a probable A-10 player of the year, or I guess a possible A-10 player of the year goes down, I mean, there's a lot of things that need to happen, a lot of guys that need to develop and step up for you to get to the NCAA tournament. I mean, we've seen the development of a lot of guys so far this year. 
and you know now they're still still playing ball, still in the postseason, um, going to the NIT. A lot of good teams there. Um, we'll talk about that later. But I mean, after he goes down, you know, I don't really know where expectations were. I mean, for me personally, you know, the the non-con was probably about what we thought it was going to be. And then in conference, can you really expect to get the double buy without him? Yeah, I, I mean, I know that I know that program expectations are that this is where the program should be in terms of they should be a double buy every year. I, this year is a little unique and, you know, ultimately in the long run, you have to convert on these things and people will get tired of excuses. But I do think that in a weird way, the lack of Javante Perkins was almost a net positive this year because it forced a lot of guys to grow up. Um, it forced a lot of guys to take roles that they were not accustomed to. Um, in some cases, they, you know, took on those roles and adapted really well and grew in others, maybe we learned that a player wasn't ready for the role that uh, they had to step into. But, you know, overall, I think that there was a lot of positive growth from this year. The one big negative is that they weren't fantastic at holding on to large leads or really closing games in general. Um, and I think we see that with a lot of scores down the stretch and kind of some relinquished opportunities that we've touched on before. But overall, uh, I think the positive message to take away from this is that the team's still playing basketball. I know we all wanted them to be in the NCAA tournament, but the NIT, you know, we've been looking at this one. It's nothing to sneeze at. And two, the opportunity for these guys to get more practice time and get, you know, at least one more game, hopefully, you know, four or five, that is something that is invaluable in the long run because every opportunity you get to develop young players or even veterans and have them grow into a leadership role is something that is valuable for your program. And I don't want people to lose sight of that fact. Every day that you get Yuri and Gibson and Francis and every other player on this roster playing together, they are building chemistry. They are hopefully building good habits and they are preparing themselves for an NCAA tournament run next season. So, you know, I'm taking this with a half, a glass half full approach. Right. And I think we both are. I mean, I think even you know, if you can win a couple games in the NIT, you still have, you know, a week or two weeks of practice time. I know that, I know that Carter Chapley had talked about this on one of his spaces, um, maybe after VCU. I don't remember exactly, but um, he had talked about, even if you are in the postseason, um, if you don't accept that NIT bid, you're done. Like you're done practicing. There's no real team activities aside from, you know, lifting or, you know, some sort of training or individual workouts, but as an actual practice with the coaches, with the staff, with everybody, just like it is in season, that's what you're getting. And with a roster that looks to be mostly coming back, aside from obviously Martin said he won't be back and, um, and Jones has graduated now and um, hopefully Javante comes back, but that's a different that's completely different thing um, with all guys that are going to be coming back or supposed to be coming back next year. Just getting them practice is, is helpful. I mean, getting Gibson to get more shots up, getting Yuri to run some more offensive sets, getting Francis to, to be able to finish around the rim and just be able to do that kind of stuff every day for even two more weeks, even one more week is helpful in the long run. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so before we get on to everything that's coming in the future, uh, we, we did just want to touch on, you know, the end of season 
I don't really think there's much to touch on besides VCU and the conference tournament. Um, just wanted to say that that VCU game was at least the first 30 minutes, maybe the most fun 30 minutes the slew has played of the season. Um, yep, everything was working offensively and defensively. VCU came back in the end. The, they almost came back from a 20 point deficit. Um, this was a little unique. Uh, you know, the, the problems that SLU had of closing games down the stretch definitely did apply. But uh, down the stretch, Fred Thatch and Francis Okoro both had to play with four fouls, plus the prospect of Martin Linson um, busted his head open, so wasn't able to return. So they had to kind of sag off defensively in the post a little bit, which definitely contributed to that lead getting relinquished a bit. You know, I think they weren't going to win by 20, but we've talked before about this, that that game was probably going to, be like a 10 point game and it ended up at four. Uh, I think they play a little differently if they have a full capability of bigs down the stretch, but regardless, that was a really fun win on senior day. Uh, shout out to Brandon Courtney for having one of the most fun moments of the season, hitting a three on the first or second possession of that game. As he started on senior day, I, you know, that's always really cool to see. It's funny how those things kind of work out like that, where you just get a moment, of kind of magic almost, but um, that's the only real regular season game I wanted to touch on at all because down the stretch was kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of positives um, and some negatives for sure down the stretch. Um, yeah. I mean, getting the five seed, getting that um, avoiding the pillow fight, getting, getting that first buy, I guess uh, in DC was nice. Um, we saw LaSalle take down Joe's LaSalle looked good down the stretch. Really? I mean, as good as they can probably I mean, beating Dayton. I think they entered the tournament having won three in a row, I believe. Um, I, I want to say they entered the tournament winning two in a row and that their win in the pillow three. fight brought them to three. The win in the pillow fight brought them to four. They beat Dayton. Okay. Duquesne to end the- I know. So I know that at the time that they won that game, they had the longest win streak in conference, which is kind of funny to think about because LaSalle did have a very poor year, uh, to put it lightly, but they did kind of look like a team. You know, I never thought that that game was going to be anything dangerous on Thursday when SLU matched up with them. But for as tough of a year as LaSalle had, they still had some guys with talent. Um, Clifton Moore, I think, was uh, you know one of the best 20 players in conference. Jack Clark pretty solid player that could light it up. I think the second game against SLU, he, you know, had a really good game against us. So, you know, it, it's not like they were, you know, completely incapable of making a game out of it, but SLU made pretty quick work of him winning by 20 um, and kind of shifted focus the next day to that big matchup with Bonaventure. Yeah. I mean, once, once they kind of got out of, I don't know, the second TV timeout or about 10 minutes in. Yeah. I mean, SLU went on a big run and it, kind of never really felt like they were they were going to look back and and they really didn't so um yeah i mean it was it was a good effort all around especially on defense that game 96 game score on t rank uh so pretty good uh actually very good against LaSalle, which i think is kind of what we all figured would happen obviously that's why they play the game but yeah i mean it was nice to to move on play again uh and get that you know, rematch, maybe a little revenge game against Bona. Yeah. And, and I think that Bonaventure game, obviously, you know, before, before Richmond had just two incredible games on Saturday and uh, Sunday, 
actually Friday night too. Rich, Richmond, Richmond played an awesome tournament. Um, obviously they won the conference tournament, but they played three fantastic games to win as a six seed. And I would say before that though, St. Bonaventure and SLU was probably the game of the tournament. It was a slugfest. Uh, SLU came out on top 57, 56, but it was a, you know, really good defensive matchup. Both teams really didn't get anything done that they wanted offensively. I mean, really for SLU, uh, Gibson and Francis were the only players that were good on offense. I mean, even were like average. Um, right, right. Um, I mean, I know that, uh, I mean, Francis had a great game. He got the scoring started. He he really looked like he kind of came into his, you know, his strengths and his, and his yeah. profiles towards the end of the year. And you know, started to really use use his body to create space and get baskets uh, around the rim. I think he did really well against Oshun. And not he, not even just offensively, defensively yeah, against Oshun. Yep. He held him to six points. Um, he only took two shots. And I know that there was some talk I, I saw on Twitter that Oshun, his ankle might have not been 100%. But regardless, Francis did a remarkable job on Oshun. Um and really down the stretch, Francis was a rock solid big man. I know that uh, three man lead or three bid league said that going into next year, he's absolutely going to be on their preseason all conference team. Um, you know, Francis had 14 and seven, but he just did so much defensively that really upset a lot of what Bonnie's tried to do because they run so much of their offense through Oshun. And yeah. I mean, it that game was mainly a defensive battle. Both teams shot very poorly to put it lightly. Uh, there weren't a ton of free throws taken. It, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the cleanest game. Slew had 17 turnovers, but they didn't really allow Bonnie's to score much off of turnovers. And at the end of the day, it just was a, another really good defensive effort, probably their best or second best of the season. Yeah. I mean, and I think, uh, I think part of that too is we had kind of seen Bonnie's make these, these mid range jumpers and we know that they're not a great three point shooting team. And I think that the two meetings prior, they looked like they could kind of get whatever from the mid range because guys were being left open because people were sagging down and helping in the post on Oshun. Uh, and I think that stemming off the work that Francis did in the post and, and Martin too. Um, I think that, guys were able to kind of stretch the defense out a little more and contest those jumpers. And, you know, sometimes they were open and they, they just weren't falling for, for bodies. And, and a lot of times that's, that's the way that it goes. That's why it's a, an inefficient shot. Yep. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, if you make a couple more of those, you, you probably win. So I don't know. They did, they did a lot of things really well. Um, we kind of saw them let Bonnie's back into the game late, which wasn't awesome. But again, I mean, Bonnie's is a good team. It's it's tough to, you know, really dominate them for long stretches at a time. I mean, Slew did a great job in the middle of the second half to get the lead out to, I think, 11. And then, um, I mean, you can't expect to, to just continue that trend, especially with the experience that Bonnie's has. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think a lot of focus on this game does come down to Kyle Lofton's two missed free throws at the end. And I believe he was like an 85% free throw shooter coming into it. Um, that obviously was very strange and there's probably a degree of luck to it 
with also a degree of choking on Lofton's part. But as his own coach said in the post game, uh, no game is won or lost on an individual play. Uh, uh, you can attribute that loss to Bonaventure for any number of reason, uh, them shooting five for 20 from three, shucking a ton of long twos that they made a few of. And if they take them six inches back, it's worth another point. At the end of the day, though, it did feel really sweet to knock out this team that everyone had as the unquestioned best team in the conference coming in, a guaranteed bid, best team in the history of their school. You know, at the end of the day, I think one of us tweeted this on Twitter after the game, you know, that that's the team that slew in 2019 beat to go to the NCAA tournament when this group of seniors were freshmen and barring them choosing to come back uh, slew ended their NCAA tournament hopes as seniors. So there's a little bit of uh, poetry to that. And I can't say that I wasn't happy because it felt really good. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's nice to kind of avenge those those back-to-back losses in mid-February that kind of put Slew out of the at-large conversation pretty much once and for all. Um, yeah, I mean, just really, it, it wasn't great, but any way that you can get a win is, especially in the postseason, when it's pretty much you win or you're done. I mean, any way you can get that win is 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 good. So, yeah. I mean, they, they got it done at the end of the day and it might not have been pretty, but there were some other ones this year that weren't either. So yeah. So we, we were definitely happy to move on to Saturday. Yeah. And I don't want to talk that much about Saturday. Um, if I'm being honest, we called back in October that slew was going to get spanked at Davidson, which came to fruition and Saturday against Davidson was basically the same exact game, except on a neutral court. Um, Davidson could not miss part of it was them hitting contested threes. Part of it was poor defense on Slew's part. They played re Slew played really well defensively for like six minutes. And then everything just started to fall apart rotations. Guys were over committing, um, pretty much anything that could go wrong did go wrong defensively. And, you know, it leads to a 15 point loss and it was over pretty early. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, Slew really held their own for it was probably like ten minutes or so. I mean, maybe maybe they weren't winning after ten minutes, but they were they were there. And yeah, once it was, I think it was, I think it was nineteen to eighteen. Slew was up, and uh, Davidson made, I think it was, I think it was five threes in a row without Slew scoring. And, and I yeah, think probably one or two of those were open, and the other ones were pretty contested. And mm-hmm. they, just, they just go in and. Yeah, for some reason, Slu can't quite figure that out, and the staff can't quite figure that out. Um, hoping that that's that that's different next year. And and honestly, coming out of halftime, I mean, they were they were down twenty. They they got it, to, I think twelve with I don't know, probably six minutes to go, which is probably yeah. not going to happen. But at the end of the day, like they they did they did kind of fight their way back. And uh, yeah, I mean, Davidson probably slowed the game down a little bit towards the end, but. Slew won the second half. Davidson started to miss a little bit. And then, yeah, they got back into it. And it just, you know, not enough, too little, too late. Um, yeah, and that kind of ended the the tournament dreams. Yeah. And, you know, there are sometimes, you know, certain teams are just bad matchups for a group. And, you know, a couple of years ago, it was Duquesne. This year, 
you know, I, I think that Davidson's really good. I don't mean to take away from them, but I think that that's just a bad matchup. And, and sometimes that's all it is. And I, and I don't mean to oversimplify this. Bob McKillop is a fantastic coach. I mean, truly is a fantastic coach. His offensive system is very good. It's kind of an offshoot of the Princeton system, but it's good. And he has the right players for his system. And it's really hard to guard teams with five guys on the floor that can shoot threes at any given time. And yeah, yep, that's what it comes down to. And you lose that game and you kind of tip your hat. That That's all you can really do. I know that in the heat of the moment, it sucks and you're emotional and you're upset, but you you got outplayed and it's a team that is not a great matchup for you. So, yeah, I mean, they got, they got beat. Yep. Nothing, nothing else, you know, no, no, like getting screwed over by anybody or, or whatever. It's you, you got beat. Yep. Exactly. And we'll put a pin, we'll put a pin in this because this might come relevant uh, for some NIT discussion because there's some interesting comparisons to, prior opponents and future opponents and all that stuff. So we want to put a pin in that for a little bit, but um, you know, there's more to this season that's happened beyond just the conference tournament in the last few games, obviously right before the A-10 tournament started, we uh, it was released the all A-10 awards or conference honors, whatever you want to call them. So had some decent representation and I think I got everything, but you can let me know if I missed anyone. Yuri was first team all conference and all defense. Uh, this is aside from the A-10, but he also led the nation in assists. He still does. He could lose that. Uh, he is still playing games. The guy that's a number two is not, but Yuri has a 0.3 lead, if I remember correctly. Uh, he's at 7.9 assists per game right now. Um, Gibson Jimerson was named third team all conference. And he also was named to the all academic team. I, I think that was it for all conference awards. Did anyone else uh, have anything? Fred also was on the all academic. Oh, team. yes. Yes. Fred was on the all academic team. Um, so, you know, decent representation on the all conference list. That's about as much as you can get when you finish outside of the top four. They generally reserve more spots in the all conference team for double by teams, particularly first and second. But I think that there's some positive things to build off of from these, you know, from what's happened this year. I think coming into this year, if you would have told us Yuri Collins is first team all conference and that Gibson's third team all conference, we'd both be pretty surprised. Am I wrong on that? Yeah. I mean, um, obviously both had expanded roles with Javante going down. Um, Yuri, man, Yuri, the, Obviously, I mean, you lead the you lead the country in assists, and and you are one of the best point guards in the country. And man, he had some games that he just looked awesome, like the George Mason game. Um, I know there were a few other ones. Obviously, nineteen assists against against BC. Um, there were some games where maybe we wanted a little bit more from him, but you know, he's a college athlete; they're not going to be perfect all the time. So, yeah, I mean, first team, I'm I'm really proud of of Yuri for kind of making that leap and being not only first team, but the all defense team too. Uh, we know that he's a good defender. So it's nice to see him kind of get, get the, get the respect and the accolades that he deserves. Uh, Gibson obviously came along nice. He led the A-10 in scoring for a little bit there. I believe he finished maybe fourth in scoring in the A-10. Maybe I I'm completely think wrong. fourth or fifth. 
Yeah, it was uh, something around there. He did he did fade down the stretch. I yep. think a product of him having as many minutes as his first two seasons combined really worn him down the stretch. But he did play well in the conference tournament, so yeah. I think some of that might be overblown. But this year was a very positive one for Gibson's development overall, even if there were some games that he got taken out of. Yeah, and, and I think the one, um, not even complaint, just something that I maybe would have liked to see was maybe Okoro on the third team. Obviously, getting three guys in the, in the first three teams is is just tough in its own. Um, I did think that Okoro came on very strong down the stretch. He looked really good. I know that in non-con, he, he wasn't really finishing and just wasn't shooting the ball well around the rim, and it seemed like everything was kind of rimming out or just, just not quite going down for him. And he looked like he really figured it out in the – um, latter part of the conference schedule where I know he had a, a few double doubles um, and he just ended up looking really good and I'm excited to see how much he progresses from this year to next but he really looked like he you know figured out the system figured out just his game and, and being able to use it to his advantage oh a- absolutely I think that you know something I wanted to talk about so we have on our outline kind of like personal awards for the team you know I think that as a whole my most improved player on the team is Fred Thatch from last year to this year yep absolutely it it, with Gibson being a close second and I I have some numbers for Fred I'll throw out in a few minutes but I think in terms of just in season most improve it's got to be Francis I mean if you look at where he was from non-con to now I mean right now the way he played the last eight games or so I think he's a second team all conference performer. He was that good. Um, And for conference as a whole, I think third team would have been deserving, you know, for the, we, we had votes for the a 10 media awards that three bid league puts on. And we put Francis on over Gibson because he's been that good. And I'm really excited to see what he looks like in the NIT. And I'm extremely excited to see what he looks like next year with a full off season where he's healthy you know, this is the first time in his career that he's coming like fully, fully healthy for a full calendar year, which is right. something that he has not been afforded ever. Right. And um, just looking at one of his quick charts of his um, effective field goal percentage, because I know that that was kind of his big issue early on. Um, he he started out the season averaging about like 30 to 40 percent. Mm-hmm. Like the field goal percentage, which isn't very good, um, really, period, especially for a big man. Um, and by the end of the season, his moving average pretty much held just under 60%. Yeah. So him being able to really bump those up, and that was really pretty much between the Belmont game and um, like maybe the second Dayton game or the first LaSalle game kind of in there. Um, that's That's really where he started to shine on the offensive end and I can't, I mean, I can't find a true metric for it, but we know that he's, he's been excelling or starting to excel, especially on the defensive end. Yeah. And and one thing I want to give a shout out to him for as well. So when he, a lot of the talk about him this off season was, you know, he's the next Hassan French. He, he's going to replace Hassan. And that wasn't entirely true. They're pretty different players, honestly, um, size wise and just skill set, Hassan is much better passer and ball handler than Francis will ever be. But one thing that Francis 
does that is incredible to see out of a big man is shoot free throws at a very high rate. He finished at 76% for the season, which the season is still going on. But in conference play, he bumped it up to 81%, which was 11th best in the conference. And having that out of your big man who gets a lot of attempts as it is, is remarkable, especially for a guy that was a 47% free throw shooter in his two years at Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I always forget how bad he was at free throws in or at Oregon. I know he didn't shoot as many, but in fact, he shot more this year than he did the last two years combined. But, yep. um, but yeah, I mean, getting up to 76% is really, really good. Um, we know how good of a rebounder he is. We know um, how good of, you know, defensive big man in terms of, in terms of blocks and, and things like that. But looking at his numbers year over year, obviously he had that year off, but pretty much all of his numbers have improved too. like offensive rating up, um, even with his usage, almost doubling effective field goal percentage up, uh, rebounding rates up, even assist rate, which obviously isn't that good because he's a big man up turnovers down, which is obviously what you want blocks up steals up free throw rate is down but that's i mean that's okay especially when he's not a primary guy with the ball in his hands free throw rate up field goal percent up i mean everything is pretty much going in a positive direction for him um even if he just plays like he did the last half of the season next year i mean we all we all hope for improvement um and i know you know he does and the staff does too but if he can give us what he gave the last half of conference i mean he's going to be I think easily a top three big man in the league, maybe, maybe better. Yeah. And I think what's crazy about him is that he's still for the season finished playing just under 24 minutes a game. So even if he maintains, you know, his efficiencies and his just kind of what he's projected to do on a per 40 basis, he'll improve just by virtue of playing more minutes. Right. right. Statistically speaking, which is, which is crazy, but We'll we'll dive more into Francis probably next year um, in the off season sometimes because it's fascinating. But there's there's you know I alerted alluded to it, but I really want to talk about Fred Thatch. Yep. Um, I Fred started starting um, his first game. He started was against Richmond, the first Richmond, and then he didn't start again for uh, four games or so. So he started on January 2nd because uh, someone was still out with COVID complications. And then he didn't start again for three weeks to the day uh, on January 23rd. But his averages as a starter really encompass everything that a glue guy would be. And I think that he truly embodied that role down the stretch for SLU. He averaged uh, 10 and a half points, six boards, just under two assists, a steal, Shot 44% from three, 45% from the field, and 73% from the free throw line, all while playing his usually excellent defense as an undersized power forward, because that's basically the role he was playing in. I don't have their exact record pulled up in front of me. Actually, I can figure it out. Uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. They were 13 and one, two, three, four, five. They were 13 and five with Fred in the starting lineup. And while that is similar to their season winning percentage, SLU just looks like a different team when Fred Thatch starts. And I'm going on a limb here. And I, when I say this, but I think he's locked in a starting spot for next year. 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of it is seeing what the roster looks like, obviously. I've, I mean, watching him play over the past two months now, month and a half, he's, I mean, he's greatly improved. He looks, he looks really good. He looks like the most important player on the floor. I know that we've uh, tweeted that out. Um, some of his numbers that pop out from game to game for me are his net margin was actually positive during the 21-point Davidson loss in February. Oh, God. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess if you don't know, that's basically he had a positive effect in terms of Slew's points. When he was on the floor, he was actually positive. When he Slew was positive when he was on the floor versus when he was off it. So, um, like, his net rating was positive in those kind of games. He obviously, he had a great game in the loss to Richmond. He had a great game in the game against Rhode Island. He had a bunch of great games. It it did feel a little bit like he faded down the stretch. Um, he only, in the A-10 tournament, um, he had 10 points, 8 points, and 8 points, which is which is okay. Uh, he did play well in that game against LaSalle. I believe he had 10 and 11. Um, and then 8 points and 3 boards in both of the Bonnie's and Davidson game. Uh, I know that he had some good looks that didn't fall for th- that didn't fall for three against Davidson. I mean, those might have helped, but again, he's not generally your knockdown shooter. We saw him actually hit a lot of threes in February, which is an, a nice development because he hadn't hit more than one three all game until that first St. Bonaventure game, and then he did it, uh, I believe, four times in February. So. I mean, if you can bring him back as a shooter next year, a shooter, I mean, a guy who can drive and a guy who plays defense, like a real multi-threat guy like that, I mean, he's going to be tough to stop if if that's how who he becomes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, one other thing I forgot to mention with his just general numbers. So this is Fred's third season at SLU. He's a sophomore by eligibility. I think that might get bumped down to a freshman, honestly, because of a medical red shirt from a couple years ago, but he has two years left of eligibility. Something incredible is that Fred entering this season did not have a single double double in his career, which makes sense because he's probably played less than 20 minutes in most of his games. He's someone who doesn't really have the ball a lot. So it doesn't necessarily strike you as a guy that's going to put up big scoring numbers since he started he racked up four double doubles in an 18 game span, but really he locked up four double doubles because uh, he got his first one in February uh, on February 8th against LaSalle. He racked up four double doubles in 12 games, which is astounding for a player like Fred Thatch. Double doubles don't mean everything. They don't even indicate that your team is going to win, but I think something with Fred that's interesting too is that he really fits on any iteration you can imagine of the Billikens, any play style they want to have. Fred is kind of a guy that he's kind of like Plato, where you can mold him to fit anything. Yeah. And I mean, he had four or more assists three times too from February to the end of the year. Yep. So, I mean, he's, he's become a better passer. He's, I mean, we've known he's a good rebounder, but he's become even better. And now he's become a scorer. Um, trivia question for you looking at his page what is his highest offensive rating in a game this year in a game which game was it part of me wants to say Iona Uh, but I I don't 
And it, it isn't a game where he had a bunch of points. He did. He had twelve in this game. Um, you're gonna be surprised. Was it the uh, was it the Dayton game? Nope. Hmm. I don't know. Then it was the Boise State game. Interesting. I don't. I don't even remember Fred like what he did that game. Yeah, I mean he um, he was over one for three. He only scored twelve points, but it must have been a very efficient twelve points. Um, yeah, I mean four or five from two, over one from three, four and four from the line. I mean I don't I know there's a formula behind it. So um, I mean it's it's data, it's numbers. So yeah, yeah, I mean it's 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 an accomplishment to have a nice offensive game against Boise. Oh, absolutely. Boise is the second best defense sluice all year behind VCU. And the fact that Slew scored, uh, it was 80-something points against them, I still don't understand how they did that. But, um, okay, is there anyone else that we want to highlight for just kind of a personal award or shout-out for the year? I'm I'm Uh, I would like to make a note for, I guess, my personal unsung hero of this team. And I don't know if you agree with it, but... I think my personal unsung hero is DeAndre Jones. Um, yeah. I mean, the guy who came from Central Arkansas, he was a, a starter on this team, I believe. Uh, yeah, he on, was. On Central Arkansas. He he was a good player, you know, nothing like crazy, nothing special, but really good assist numbers and all that. And he came in to a team that pretty much already has the point guard spot, 100% locked down. Certainly after this year, they do. And kind of played a mixed bag where he sometimes controlled the point. Sometimes he was in foul trouble or just came off to rest. And he took the point, um, took all those point guard duties. Sometimes they shared the floor together. And I mean, he's a guy who, you know, you don't expect like great, like awesome, like show stopping plays or 30 points or anything out of, but he's a guy that when he's got the ball in his hands, I mean, he can break down a press by himself. He, is smart with the ball. Um, he's a good passer and, you know, he can score. Like you can't leave him open. He shot 39% from three this year. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he didn't take very many, but he only missed two free throws. He's like 91% free throw shooter this year. I mean, yeah, he's a guy that I think every team kind of needs, um, especially when they have such a ball dominant guard like Yuri. Um, you need a guy who's able to take over some of those duties and who is as confident and experienced on the ball as you can get. And and there's really nobody else that can do that. Like DeAndre Jones, where, you know, he has his, he has some great games, but you know, some things he does just kind of wow you. Yeah, absolutely. He's another guy, you know, you mentioned Fred against Boise state, DeAndre Jones. I don't remember if, how much he scored or not, but he was like huge to a few games he, where Slew came out winning and Boise state was one of them. Yeah, he had eight. That's actually it's not his best offensive rating game, but he put up an offensive rating of two oh four. Yeah, pretty so, good. I mean, he was two for three from from three that game, two for two from the line, couple assists, a steal, rebound. I mean, yeah, he yeah, he he certainly had his games that that really stick out. And I think that a lot of those came towards the end of the year. I mean, he was pretty instrumental, like him and Yuri being able to break VCU's press. Um I thought he actually played pretty well against against Davidson in this last game. I know he had eleven. Um, yeah, I mean he he had a lot of games that that you can kind of look to and say, yep, I remember that he played pretty well in that game. Mm-hmm. And it's not again, 
he only scored in double figures once, and it was against Stephen F. Austin. But you know, you can think back because, and, and you can think back and just see how many games he actually did play really well in. And I think that he was, and still is for now, um, a very important member of this team. Uh, and I'm very happy that he chose to come here. Yeah, it, so am I. I. You know, I I think the biggest compliment you can pay to a guy like that, that grad transfers is that you hope that your team can find another one of those guys. And that's exactly what I hope for, for next year. I don't know what's going to happen in the transfer portal. We don't even know what the roster is going to look like. If any guys are going to leave, which leads there to be a spot available. But I do know that I would take a clone of Deandre Jones on basically every team slew has until the end of the world. Because he was just everything you want out of a fifth-year senior guard. Yeah. Yep. And I know that. Uh, I don't know about you, but every time I'd kind of watch him, he, you know, I never really feared that he was going to get his pocket picked. I never really feared Correct. that he was going to throw the ball away. I mean, yeah, he has the ball in his hands a lot when he's on the floor, so he's going to have some turnovers. But you know, it wasn't. I don't think he had more than three in a game. So. Yeah, that that sounds about uh, right. I mean, I think it's. It looks like it's two. So, yeah, he never had more than two turnovers in a game. There are a lot of games with, with zero. And, yeah, maybe he doesn't get a ton of minutes here and there. But I don't know. When he when he does come in, he he plays well. I mean, he got 38 minutes against VCU. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. And and I don't think Slew wins that game without him. He had 38 minutes against VCU? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah, he played a lot. Yeah, I was not I was not aware of that. I mean, he had no. three steals, four assists. A um, couple boards, six points, both on threes. Yeah. I mean, he, I didn't realize he was in for 38 minutes. Wow. No, he was. Okay. I mean, yeah, he's, yeah. I mean, he is, I think he's kind of the unsung hero of this team. So, yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think that, you know, the, the injury to Javante created a vacuum that multiple guys needed to step up into. I don't know if, we can say that that fully happened because I think that we both would be lying if we said the team wouldn't have more wins if Javante was healthy all year. But I do think that it allowed for some guys to develop as solid role players that maybe wouldn't have otherwise. And this isn't necessarily something that affected DeAndre tremendously because of the fact that Javante wasn't a point guard. But I do think that guys had to be a little bit more, um, of Swiss army knives. And, and again, I don't think that's Deandre, but just, just in general, I think that there was more of a team atmosphere when you don't have a guy that you can just lean on and not that having a superstar precludes that from happening, but I think that it just kind of develops organically when it's kind of, Hey, we have to figure this out together. And Deandre was certainly part of that. Even if he wasn't putting up huge scoring numbers or assist totals, like he was at central Arkansas. Right. And I mean, part of it too is just, I mean, you have, you brought a guy into your team who's been around division one college basketball for four years. Yep. I mean, even if he wasn't in the program, like he still ran a system. He was the, he was the pure point for that system. He knows how it works. He knows how to be smart with the ball. He knows how to break down a zone. He knows how to break down a press. I mean, you just bring in a smart guy who knows what to do with the ball. And that's what you kind of get from DeAndre Jones. Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't want to kind of diminish this, you know, those guys don't grow on trees. I think that a lot of times, especially with the current iteration of the transfer portal where everyone transfers, I think there is this mentality like, hey, we can just find a guy that can do this. 
it's easier said than done because not everyone that you get to transfer in is going to buy into your system is going to be as sure handed as you would like them to be. I mean, he was coming from the SWAC, which, you know, we've Southland. Oh, Southland. Sorry. The Southland isn't a fantastic basketball conference. Um, Slew's played central Arkansas and beaten the pulp out of them. It's, it's always a little risky when guys transfer up because you don't fully know how much of that production is going to translate. So that's kind of my point of caution is when guys like DeAndre transfer in, don't always assume that it's going to work. Um, and obviously we have faith in the staff, all that, but I, I don't want to undersell how difficult it is to bring in grad transfers that are going to actually work. It's not easy. Right. right. I mean, and you got to find guys that fit. You got to find guys that fill the role. I mean, grad transfers want to come in and just ride the bench the whole time. Very rarely. Like, like they don't like, they don't have to start, but they also don't, they don't want to be sitting the whole time. So yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, being able to get a guy like DeAndre and even like Martin who, you know, he has his role and I know that this was year two, but he, you know, he has his role sometimes starting, sometimes coming off the bench, but I mean, both of those guys do their role really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in Martin in particular, you know, I, I just want to say that in the NIT, I really hope that he plays well. He did get injured against Auburn and that's what led to Francis starting and he never really relinquished it, but Martin is still just as good as he was at the start of the season. He's just coming off the bench now. And I just hope that he has a great NIT run because he has been an awesome player these last two years. And I just want him to go out on a really high note for his college career Um, because he did make it known that his intention is to return to Germany and play in Europe after this year, regardless of what happens. Um, So I I do want to see that from Martin too, because everything we've said about DeAndre, you can say about Martin too. He's been an awesome player grad transfer uh, a really good billikin for the last year and a half and just want him to go out on top yeah for sure um so before we have one last thing we want to talk about before the nit it's ridiculous but uh we decided before conference tournaments that well we kind of said to ourselves you know we watch a lot of basketball not just a 10 uh not just high major basketball but we watch a lot of low major mid-major, everything in between basketball. And uh, we decided that we were going to bet and track on Twitter every single conference tournament game in NCAA Division One, And uh, we, we just kind of want to talk about the results of that because it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, it didn't I – don't, I don't know. I guess if you would have told me um, – if you would have had me predict our record – prior to it i would have liked to think that we were over 500 probably not very much over 500 but um but a little bit and that didn't happen yeah so in reality we finished 147 149 and five we had five ties um so we finished with a winning percentage of 48.8 percent we were two games under 500 effectively uh we would have been over 500, but on the last day we went 0 and 5 because we turns out we couldn't pick anything right in the games that literally all five of those games. I was like, Oh, I think I have a pretty good read on these. Um, turns out we didn't, but overall, uh, 
it was ridiculous to track all these games. There is no easy way to do it. Um, I learned that there's a lot of teams I thought I had a read on, and then I would see them with a line against a team that I have not watched or tracked at all this year. And I'm like, well, I got nothing. Um, no amount of Ken Palm, T-Rank, Haslametrics, no amount of that could help us for some of these. And um, I don't know. It was ridiculous. As much work as it was, we kind of talked, we're probably going to do it again next year. It's a tremendous waste of time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but, it's, but it is tremendously entertaining. So. It is. Uh, I know that you, you texted me and said, so are we going to do the same thing for the NCAA tournament? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Probably not. It'd be much easier. There's much, much less games. Um, I mean, one of the but... days there were uh, the high watermark day, there were 61 games one day. Yeah, I believe that was Thursday. Yeah. I, um, Thursday. I don't know if you ever tried to keep track of 61 anythings taking place on one day, but it was not easy. And that was like our second best day. We went yeah, 34, we 26 day. and one that day. Yeah, we had a good day that day. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 tough. It's it's no joke. Um, yeah, Vegas so apparently is really good at their jobs. Um, in case yeah, any of you had any doubt that uh, two people that run a college basketball Twitter account can't beat Vegas, um, Vegas won this time, yeah, barely, but they did. We'll They're one and zero for now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I have nothing else on that. You know, do you want to get into NIT talk? Because that's probably why most people are here. Um, yeah. Did you want to, did you want to touch on, on your the little news? Oh yeah. My extra thing. Yeah. On the day, on the day we're recording this and this could turn out to be a big nothing, but it could t- turn out to be a big something. Um, EA, the publisher that apparently still holds the NCAA basketball license for video games, had a very cryptic tweet about, madness loading and like some basketball emojis um they're currently working on a college football game that's going to be released in 2023 but they haven't made any announcements about basketball or other sports but there is some uh there is some smoke that they might be developing a college basketball video game i know that for some people that is stupid and that it's not going to even be a blip on the radar but for us, that is pretty big news, and I really hope that it's true. I don't care if the game sucks. I just want to be able to play as SLU so I can turn them into a powerhouse and make my dreams a reality in the event that it never happens in real life. Yeah, I mean, I remember playing the old games. What, it's been, it's been over 10 years now. 12 years. Uh, still play them. Still play yeah, them. I think I, I, I think I have NCAA 2010. Uh, you have 2009. I have 2010. I have the second to last one. Yeah, second. you have two. That, that's 2009. All right, I have 2009, and it is still a delight to play. Uh, I know that the uh, the gameplay graphics, sucks, dude. The, well, yeah, I know that, but I know the graphics and the uh, like the mechanics and fluidity of the game are obviously far behind current video games, but um, it is still. I have a I have a great time playing it. So if they can just release a new one that's more fun in game then then we'll really be cooking yeah i'm i'm really excited for it the fact that this dumb tweet that might mean nothing it might just be a generic brand like oh march madness is here and they're like sponsoring the tournament or something i don't know what it is but i really hope it is what we think it is because that would be awesome i i'm cautiously optimistic so yeah um Let's let's move on to things that are real, though, and that's the NIT. 
Um, obviously, we wanted to be talking about the NCAA tournament. Don't really have much NCAA tournament talk. We'll be posting our thoughts on Twitter about those games. I think the A-10 did well to get two teams in with Richmond uh, stealing a bid on Sunday and Davidson being a lock. I, I know some bracketologists thought that Davidson was like kind of shaky and they had to get to Sunday anyways. I think that's garbage. I think Davidson was solidly in and they should have been. Uh, they had yeah. a really good year. Yeah, I mean, even if Sulu beat them, I they should have been Saturday, in Saturday. I think that they, I mean, maybe you drop them to an 11, but I mean, they still lost. I mean, they lost on Sunday and they, they got dropped to a 10 and like, that's, that's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe even a little underseeded, but I do think they have a nice, nice chance to win against Michigan state. Yeah. I, I like, I like the matchup. People have talked about that being a foster lawyer revenge game, all that stuff that's been talked to death and by people with way more knowledge on those teams than us. You know, I, I think that that's a good matchup and I wouldn't be surprised to see Davidson win a couple games. Um, I forget who their draw is after, but it's someone, someone Duke. beatable. Was oh, it Duke? They're, they're a seven, 10 game against Michigan state winner. will get probably Duke unless they lose to um, Fullerton, which won't happen. They're not losing right. to Fullerton, so, yeah. whatever. Um, we can save NCAA talk for Twitter because that's where we get most of our engagement anyways. Uh, but let's talk some NIT. So I know that you said that you did a lot of research. Uh, I did. I did some research. Well, compared to me, you did a more lot more. Than, more than probably most people have done, though. So, um, yeah, I mean, I know that people can be disappointed that it's not the NCAA tournament. And, you know, it's harder to get excited about it. And some teams don't want to show up and just like, kind of go through the motions and get beat and all that. I'm pretty excited for this. Um, this I, field. I, sorry to cut you off. I yep. I'm more excited than I was last year for this. For sure. And last year, a week ago, a week ago, I didn't think. I thought, you know, NIT. Eh, I'm not like super excited, and now I am. There's there's some legitimate talented teams here. There's a few teams that had a gripe for an NCAA bid that were like legitimate snubs. I think SLU being further from the bubble this year makes it a lot easier to stomach because last year they were one of the first four out. True. And the game, their first game being at Chaffetz, I think does a lot. They're going to get a home game and that's cool. There's also also out of the 32 teams, 26 of them are like top 100 teams. Yeah, it's a good, the notion that this is like just kind of a collection of teams and it doesn't produce high quality basketball couldn't be further from the truth. The NIT has produced some really good games. Yeah. I mean, look, you, at the end of the day, like it's not, it's not the, the, the tournament that you shoot for at the beginning of the year, but it is one where if you win it, you, you hang a banner. It's Absolutely. Not, like it's not something that you're like, Oh man, like you, like you only won the NIT. No, it's like you, you won the NIT. You were, you were really, you were good enough to get in number one. And then you, you have to beat some good teams. I mean, you look at like Oklahoma was 30 on Ken Palm. You look at uh, Mississippi state was 45. North Texas was 50. Texas A&M is 43. Wake Forest is 37. BYU is 51. I mean, yeah. I mean, you don't have like the, the, the real cream of the crop, the Auburns and the Novas and the Baylors and the Gonzagas, but like you have some really good teams in this field and there's some really good chances to to get some wins to get some experience to get some confidence really going into next year absolutely i mean 
it's not a one-to-one comparison because they had so much roster turnover, but last year Memphis was in the NIT. They won the NIT and they got an NCAA bid this year. Like I, it, yeah. it's not a full one-to-one comparison, but you know what? For, for guys like Yuri Gibson, uh, Jordan Nesbitt, pretty much the entire roster except for Thatch and Okoro, none of these guys have NCAA tournament experience. So this is this is getting some postseason experience for these guys that haven't had this before. Well, uh, I guess, sorry, they were in the NIT last year. So disregard that sure, entire point right. I just made. Yeah, but it was, it was very it's different. different. I mean, I mean, and even for these guys, I know that we talked about them being able to get some extra practice under their belt and being able to, um, you know, just get some some more time together. I mean, you're getting experience against good teams. Like you're not, you're not sitting there and playing like Purview A and M. It's not, it's not like a preseason or like a November buy game. It's, I mean, it's the it's the NIT. There are there are some good teams. There are some eh, not really great teams, but I'm not really sure that someone's going to get the shot to play any of them anyways. So yeah, it, it's a thing that like here. It, so I, I don't want to talk bad about them. Like Northern Iowa is in the bottom 25% of teams in this field yeah, based on their, sure. based on their Ken Palm rating. They're still 91 on Ken Palm. They beat Bonaventure at Bonaventure. They're not a slouch team. They're not a team that you look at and say, ah, oh, it's like playing LaSalle at home. That That's not what this is. It's, it's a high quality basketball team, basketball game against a top 100 opponent. Right. And like you said, well, and I think for reference, like, St. Bonaventure is like 95, I think. A uh, little. In the 90s. Uh, they're 88. Okay, so they're 88. So this is like playing a team that's maybe like throw up play style and all that out the window, just in terms of the 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 bigger picture of college basketball. This is a team that's, you know, pretty similar to, to Bonnie's, maybe a little bit worse, but that's that's kind of what you're playing. Yeah, exactly. And, and there are four A-10 teams in the NIT total. It's SLU, Dayton, VCU, and Bonaventure. So there's also, too, there's a chance that you could line up and see a conference foe again, which is a nice little storyline. But th- there's, a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things about this tournament. I was going through the bracket earlier today, and, you know, if, and it's a big if, because SLU would have to play a couple good teams to get there, but if SLU wanted a chance to go to the NIT final, or sorry, uh, final four, they would have to beat, SMU, who has Marcus Weathers, who's the guy that torched them on Duquesne multiple times. Like, there's some cool storylines in here, too, outside of just this opponent's good. We got to beat them. Right. And I mean, you like, look, you maybe maybe not the first game and maybe not even the second game. I don't I don't really know what it would start. I'd imagine by probably quarterfinals, certainly semifinals, like you're you're going to be on national television and and going to be on ESPN. And you're playing if you get that far at Madison square garden, right. if you get to the semifinal, you are playing in, you know, the grandest basketball arena in the world. You are playing in like the marquee location for basketball pretty much. And you'll be on national television. And yeah, maybe like, maybe the guys show up on Wednesday and clearly don't want to be there. And, you know, I hope that that doesn't happen, but it's something that certainly could. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, guess i couldn't really blame them if that was the case but again you you get a good uni team that's certainly beatable and then you're probably gonna be looking at a byu team and a trip to to provo to play which is a really hard place to play 
Right. It's, it's a hard place to play. And BYU pretty much matches SLU in almost every metric. Yep. Uh, in terms of just, I guess, in terms of the raw, like, offense, defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, like, shooting and the turnovers, I didn't even look. But, but I mean, between T-Rank and Kempom, they both, I mentioned this to you, but they their average rank is both 61 um, overall. And their average offense is off by three spots. And their average defense is off by two. So you're getting a very similar team who you're pretty much looking in the mirror for that game. And yeah, you got to go on the road to win that. So yeah, I mean, if you can, I mean, even if you could win two, like you're adding a nice win, probably a nice road win. Yeah, absolutely. And which is something that they haven't necessarily been good at this year. So it's going to test them. And I also think that it might be good because you don't have to play. You don't have to play tight. Like you're, you're up 15 with 10 minutes to go. You don't, you can start to say, you know, we don't need to really slow it down because we're not, if we don't win, it's not the end of the world. It's not like a bad loss or we're not like looking to get in the tournament anymore. Mm-hmm. We're just playing. So you can be, up yeah. by, you can be up by 20 with five minutes to go. Just keep running. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, I, I think the game that we probably should talk the most about is Northern Iowa because yeah. right now that's the only game that there is. It, right. It's Northern Iowa or nothing else. And this is a very interesting team matchup wise because Northern Iowa doesn't really play much size. They, they have a couple guys on their roster that are six, nine, but, um, and I don't know how to pronounce the name. I think Austin Fife is, he was their starting center to start out the year. He got COVID has had some long-term complications and really hasn't played that much. They've been rolling with basically a five guard lineup, but they have two players in AJ Green and Noah Carter that really can do damage. Right. Well, it, and this team and this team won the Missouri Valley. Yeah. It's not like they didn't they didn't get the auto bid, but they won the Missouri Valley regular season. This yep. team is a this is a good team. Yep. They're a good team that is a very, very, very good shooting team. They are uh it, it's weird. So they're like 124th in three point percentage, but they have three guys that shoot a high volume of threes. AJ Green being the highest volume, AJ Green, Trey Burho, and then Nate Heiss that all shoot a lot of threes and make them at a high percentage. AJ Green in particular, uh, they played Bonaventure earlier in the season. He scored 34 against them on nine of 15 from three point range. This is a team that will shoot the ball. Um, and they'll make a lot of them and they, and they'll shoot a lot of them. Yes. And the thing is that they, so like they have other guys in their roster, like Noah Carter is probably their second best offensive player. He does a lot of damage from inside. He takes a lot of threes. He only shoots 28%, but he can get hot and guys that take high numbers of threes. If they get hot, it doesn't really matter what the percentage is. If they feel good on that night, they're going to shoot well. Well, right. I mean, you could you can walk in the gym and give up fifteen to twenty threes, and yep. you're probably you're probably done at that point. That's. I mean, and it's a the thing they're probably going to take thirty threes. Yeah. Like they, I, I can't find their rate for some reason. I can I've only got, see what I've got their three point rate at forty two point seven. Yeah, that's a lot. It's <laughs> a lot. Forty two point seven percent of possessions or of shots, at least, are are going to be threes. But I think I, I think the more pertinent thing with them, uh where 20.5% of their points come from, which is good for 48th in the nation. You got to keep them off the free throw line. They are the 
eighth best free throw shooting team in the country. They have multiple guys over 90%. Pretty much everyone on their team is over 75%. They're not going to miss free throws. You have to keep, in particular, A.J. Green off the line. He shoots 91% on a really high volume of them. You have to play defense without fouling. That will be probably what decides the game. Yeah, I mean, and I think um, I think one area where looking at their numbers is, is kind of weird is that they are their third in the country at defensive rebounding percentage. Yeah, and abysmal on the offensive glass. Right, and they are 345. This is out of like, I think it's 358. Yeah. So they're bottom like 14 in the country at getting at getting offensive rebounds. So mm-hmm. you, you cannot let them get second chance points because they don't they don't do that anyway. So if you do if you do that and you let them have second chance points, they're gonna kill you. Yep. They're gonna kill you. So you need to keep them off the offensive glass and you need to hopefully get some offensive rebounds considering that's that is where slew generates a lot of their points is off second chances. Yeah. And I think this is going to be a really interesting matchup game for our front court. Um, as mentioned before their starting lineup, it rolls as the tallest player being six, six. So you need Francis Okoro, you need Martin Linson and you need Fred Thatch. I mean, really you need everyone to rebound, but you need those guys that are your above average offensive glass guys to pound the offensive boards and also pound it inside. Because if you get these guys in foul trouble, their bench is not much taller and is not better defensively against a guy that's six, nine, like Francis or, or Fred is six, four, but he's also, he's also the strongest player that's going to be on this court. Right. And um, I mean, they're, they're not, they're not very good at, at just defending in general either. I mean, they, they don't, they don't really turn you over. I mean, they're no. about national average in, in, in turnovers on defense. They don't they, this can be implied from their uh height. They don't block shots at all. Right. They don't they don't block shots. And and I think I mentioned this to you yesterday, I think, but um might have said something on Twitter today too. Slu struggles, and we've seen this many times. Slu struggles against length inside. Yep. They do. They um they struggled against Oshun two games. They struggled a game against Deron Holmes. They struggled against Walker Kessler. They struggle against guys who are long inside. This team is not. Those are the teams that really scare me. I mean, this team can shoot the lights out if you let them. But they're also 330th at two-point defense. They're over, their, their two-point defense gives up over 50% yep. from inside. And, and maybe that doesn't all come at the rim, but they're giving up. It looks like they, they stop you pretty well from getting to the rim. But if you get there, you're probably scoring. Well, they're not very good at stopping you there. It's it's a really strong contrast between their offense and defense. So their offense is 63rd in the country in effective field goal. Their defense is 331. People right. people shoot well from three against them. They shoot very well from two, as you mentioned. They don't get steals. They don't block you. They're good at not fouling, and right. and that's something that is going to be entirely dependent on shot distribution and things like this. But I would suspect that they don't give up a ton of free throws because teams shoot a lot of threes against them. And they, right. They give up for as much, as many threes as they shoot. And they shoot threes. Like we said, 42.7 share of their shots is coming from behind the three point line. 
they're giving up 48.7 they're giving up even more and now we know that we know that slew doesn't shoot that many threes just in yeah. general um and they, they do shoot them pretty well they just don't shoot that many this is probably a game where you're just you're just firing you're probably running gibson around and letting him shoot whenever he gets a look yep probably letting fred that shoot whenever he gets a look and and at the mm-hmm. end of the day I mean, they probably, I, I mean, I don't know enough about their individual defenders. I'm sure that they have one or two that are, that are good defenders. Um, and maybe you tag Gibson and maybe you tag Aguirre, but I don't know. You can still throw Terrence out and he can shoot. You can, Fred can shoot, um, put DeAndre on the floor. He can shoot. Yep. Nesbitt can shoot. I mean, you have guys that can shoot pretty much all of them except for Okoro and Linson. So it's, you bang it inside with them, and then you you look for threes. It's really a, you know, I have two thoughts. One, it's not a question of having guys that can shoot. It's this game is going to be entirely will they shoot. Yeah. And I really hope that they do because that – that seems to be the clear way to beat them. You can throw it inside to Francis and Martin. And I, and I suspect that they're going to be able to get whatever they want. Looking at their height, even double teaming Francis, he just has so much size compared to these guys that it's going to be really hard for them to defend him. As long as he stays out of foul trouble. The, right. the equation is always going to be though, that three points is worth more than two. And if Northern Iowa is going to jack threes, they're going to make some of them. If they're making threes at a high rate, you're going to have to match them. It's just what you're going to have to do. Yeah. And I mean, this is a team, this is a team that's, I mean, very similar to, to Davidson, if we're being honest. I mean, they're not, they're not quite as potent offensively. They're, um, they're different because they don't have a talented post player like Brykovich yeah. that they can throw the ball into. Who's going to kind of hunt guys on the perimeter. They don't have that ability to play inside out. Right. It's, it's more, I watched a little bit of them. There's, there is a lot of screening, but there's a lot of isolation elements to it where it's driving kicks. Yeah, It's a different offensive set, but I agree. It's something where you have to know where your man is on the perimeter because that ball, if it if they have space, it's going up. Right. I mean, in terms of their offensive efficiency, I mean, they're, they're, they are much worse than, than Davidson. I mean, they're about 40 spots worse than them. Actually, I'm T-Rank, it's exactly 40 spots, but that's also worse than worse than UMass and but we know UMass can certainly shoot the ball um they their defensive efficiency is exactly the same as Davidson on team rank so both at 101.5 um which isn't excellent I mean it's it's good for about about the national average um but we also know that SLU struggles against Davidson they struggle to score um and it's it's probably a lot of what Davidson does and and the fact that they do have some athletes and they do have some size inside but I mean, you just you just never know. I mean, this this team, Northern Iowa, they don't have a great inside presence, but they do have length out on the perimeter. They have a guy who's five eleven, but I mean, he plays about half the minutes. A lot of their a lot of their minutes come from a guy six four, six six, six four, six five, another six four guy, and then a couple six nine guys. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you you do have some height, you do have some length, and yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be defending the three well and probably hoping that some of them don't fall, to be honest. Yeah, and, and and there is an element of that, that three-point defense all the time. You know, you can play well, but there will be a luck element to it, and you just got to hope that they don't like the shooting backdrop and that, you know, your familiarity with it as slew helps you out a bit. Yeah, and I think that 
I do think that 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 Yuri should be able to kind of feast on this mid-range jumper that he keeps doing. Um, if it's falling for him, like, I mean, obviously we want to see it fall, but they, they give up a high percentage of like deeper twos or a high percentage, you know, from the field. So they don't really defend deep twos well. They don't really defend like really inside twos very well. I mean, again, this team isn't a great defensive team. They're just not. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're not good at all, but defense is definitely their hole. And that's something that you need to exploit this game. I mean, you might have to score 80 points to win. Yep. But I mean, we've seen them do it before. I mean, they, they are good enough, but again, this is, this is still a team that won the Missouri Valley. It's still a top 100 team. Um, they went 14 and four in the Missouri Valley. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, they, they won at, at Bonaventure, which is something that they didn't do. So it's going to be a challenge. It should be a fun game, fun game to watch, but it's going to be a challenge for sure. Yeah. My, my, my hope is that the guys come out and they're motivated and they want to end their season on a high note and they can come away with a win. I mean, sometimes in these tournaments, these games are literally decided by motivation. And, you know, if, if a team doesn't want to be there, they're going to go out pretty early, but if they want to be there and they decide they want to, go on a run and win a championship. I think that they have a nice little pod set up for them to potentially do that. And we'll just have to see where it goes. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, I mean, not to say, not to say that their, that their pod is bad, but I mean, it's certainly winnable. Like you, you can win these games. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would argue that really sticks out, you know, I would argue with the place that the, the program is at, you should have an expectation to win a couple of these games at least. I'm not saying they will, but, you know, where you're at, if you're the program that you think you are, these are games that you should be winning. Right. And if you're and if you're a player, again, you can look towards kind of the end of the tournament, I guess, prize for I mean, you, you're you playing in Madison Square Garden, you're playing on national TV. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's why that's why they signed up, really. That's why that's why we all wanted to be, you know, a basketball player when we were kids. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what it is. I mean. I know that in these power conferences, there are national TV twice a week. So who's not? No. And they have been more this year, which is, which is always nice, but you know, you're not on ESPN or ESPN two or anything like that. And, and just getting that exposure is, is nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess we're both, we're both going to be filling out an NIT bracket. I'm sure that we'll post those. Um, I don't necessarily want to do a game prediction because every time we do it, SLU loses. Yeah, I'm not going to do a game prediction. Um, I'll say this. I feel good about the game against you and I. Not necessarily that they'll win, but I think we're going to get a really good game. I do too. I mean, if they if they want it, if they want to win it, I think that I, I mean they certainly can. Um, I think that they I think that they're a better team, and I think that the numbers will agree with us on that, but um, but they have to play the game. Right, you got to play the game, and you have to execute, and and you have to want to play the. So, yeah, I mean, I I I'm not gonna have a prediction, but I do feel pretty good. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm really, I'm really hoping they can get out and win a couple games. I'm certainly more interested in NIT this year than I have been in years past. I would just as a general thought, there are quite a lot of teams on here that I'm sure have spots the next couple years and they're out of conference games that I wouldn't mind seeing slew reach out to for a game. I think that 
a lot of the teams in this tournament are ones that will be dancing in the next couple of years or should have been this year. And these are the kind of games that SLU needs to get on the schedule more often. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at a lot of, I mean, like, like we said, most of this, most of this field is top 100 teams. And a mm-hmm. lot of those, a lot of those are also top 50 or yep. at least top we'll call it 70. So yeah, I mean, this is, this is a competition that, that you, you know, can't shake your head at you. You, you have to go out there. You have to play well if you want to win it. And yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta get it done. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we'll see where we're at. I, I think, I think that if they, if they do somehow make it to like the semifinals, we'll probably record another episode. I don't anticipate us doing one before then, just because there will be so much going on with the NCAA tournament and you know, it'll be hard to find time to record with just how busy life is in general right now. But we will be talking about this stuff a lot on Twitter. If you have thoughts on the NIT, you know, jump in. We would love to talk about it with you or just, you know, basketball in general. But I'm really excited for this tournament. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. And I hope that they get some good exposure out of it too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just hoping that, that they, they come ready and wanting to play. So, and then I think that there's, I mean, there's not a team here where you can just assume that they will be. So, uh, but assuming that everybody comes ready to go and and wants to win, it's going to be really, really competitive for sure. Yeah. Uh, I did see in the note, you, I think you wanted to talk a little bit of BYU and Long Beach. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. We don't, we don't have to do it as much. Those are just the two potential opponents that they, that they would play, um, I believe it's this weekend if they should win on Wednesday. I believe it would be, it would be 20th. Yeah. So I think it'd be the 20th considering they play on Wednesday. Yeah. And they'd have to travel to, to BYU too. I'm assuming. Which the 20th is Sunday. So I know there's a concert at Chaffetz like Friday or Saturday. So there oh, might be a chance. Cool. There might be a chance they might have to play Long Beach on the road too. Um, I know that a couple teams have had, have had issues with that specifically Dayton, because the first four is at UD Arena, they actually have to play on the road at Toledo, despite the fact that they're the number one overall seed for the NIT. So there are a few, there could be scheduling conflicts that arise with this. I'm not entirely sure if it'll affect SLU for a second game. My presumption is that they're going to play BYU in that second game if they're able to win, but I guess my question for you, since you looked at both teams, which would you rather play in a second round game? Uh, I mean, it. I guess it depends. I guess at this point of the year, you just want to win yeah. um, and move on. It's not necessarily about accumulating wins against good teams or anything like that. And obviously both these teams are good. Uh, BYU is much better. BYU is, um, like I said before, about 61 on average in the country. And Long Beach is about 164. Oh, wow. I didn't realize they were that bad. Yeah, yeah they're they're 176 on T-Rank and 153 on Kempom. So, so, yeah, BYU is winning that game. I mean, yeah, BYU, it looks like on T-Rank opened as like 12 and a half point favorites. And again, maybe they just don't want to play um, and, and they'll lose and, and Long Beach wants it more. Uh, but I know that BYU has, uh, has some good players. They have Alex Barcelo, who... I mean, he's been he's been around for five years now. He was at Arizona for a couple of years. And then, I was gonna say he's he's been he's been in college for ever. Right, and I mean he's a career forty three percent three point shooter. 
he is probably one of the better players in the West Coast Conference. Obviously, we see all these guys coming through Gonzaga. They're, they're so good. But aside from that, he's certainly one of the best players in the West Coast Conference. He does a lot of things well. Certainly their team leader. Certainly their most ball-dominant guy. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if we want to win, obviously, I'd probably rather see Long Beach. I'd like to see SLU get to host another home game, too. But yeah, I mean, BYU would be a fun game. Their profile is, is very similar to where SLU is at right now. Um, pretty much top 70, floating around the top 70 in both offense and defense. Um, so yeah, I mean, they haven't been playing as well lately. They went on a run where they lost to Santa Clara, who's also in the NIT. They lost to Pacific, which isn't good. And they lost to San Francisco and Gonzaga, who are obviously both tournament teams. So yeah, they, they've played a tough schedule. They've played some really good teams. Um, it would be a fun game, certainly, to see some play them. If you give me a pick, I'm probably going to pick to face Long Beach State just because. Yeah. It's, I mean, because you have a better chance of winning and also because it's it, it, it would be potentially at shape fits and it, it's always nice to host one. So, yeah, I think I think if you would have the opportunity to play two at shape fits before heading off, um, like playing two or three at shape fits before heading to msg would be cool but like you said you got to win to get there and all that matters is wednesday night at this point that's all that matters right all that matters is is being able to play northern iowa i know that a lot of people had initially set them up to play missouri state just because of the geographic um you know the the proximity yeah they try to cluster all the teams together as best as they can um, that's why, you know, Dayton's playing Toledo, Xavier's playing Cleveland State, all that kind of stuff. And they actually send Missouri State to go play at Oklahoma, which is, you know, also pretty close. Um, Missouri State would have been fun. Um, they are better by the looks of it than than Northern Iowa. They have a much better offense. So, yeah, they're a good team. Yeah, they're they're a very good team. So I'm, um, I'd, I would have been interested to see that for sure, especially, uh, isn't Phil Russell at Missouri State? No, that's SEMO. Oh, he's at SEMO. Okay, I'll forget. I'll just get those mixed up. Yeah, that would have been fun, but I know Missouri State's got a lot of talented guys too. Um, SLU wouldn't see them now until the final. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Northern Iowa's still still a good team, still somebody who can really challenge you, and hopefully, hopefully you can give them a good one. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully you win by thirty. I'd be I'd be happy with that, but I don't think that'll happen. Yeah, I, I'll I'll take a win. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go that far. Uh, one last NIT point that I wanted to make. Um, SLU actually has won the NIT before in 1948. Uh, they won 65-52 over NYU with uh, Billiken legend Easy Ed McCauley as the MVP. I would love to see that again this year. Um, four years later, the MVP of the tournament was Tom Gola from LaSalle. So that's a fun little fact. means literally nothing. Hmm, interesting. Also, I'm pretty sure back, maybe I don't know when it, when it started, but I believe, I believe back in the forties, the winner of, of the NIT played the winner of the NCAA tournament. So I don't know. All I know is that when the year that slew was that they won, the NIT was still the, the more predominant tournament. Oh, really? The more it was, one? I believe yeah. it was until like the early fifties. I want to say. When did the NCAA tournament surpass the NIT? Uh, okay. So 
1943 is when they played. Right. Uh, says not till like the 80s. That's weird. I don't know. This is think, something I that I don't think that's right. I don't know. Uh, no, the NCAA overtook the NIT in popularity ratings and prestige around 1971 when it declared teams with NCAA tournament invites couldn't choose to play in the NIT instead. So oh. it looks like 1971. Okay. Yeah, it looks like teams, it says several teams played both in the NIT and NCAA tournaments. That's wild. Year, which would be, I mean, that was in 1940. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a long time ago, but yeah. Long story short, for this year, we're just going to say that this is more prestigious, uh, especially if SLU wins, even though that's probably not the case. <laughs> is, was it really only 16 teams last year? I forgot. Uh, yeah, because they, they had it all in Texas. Yeah, yeah, they did. Because they, they, they bubbled it. Yeah, they bubbled it. That's right. Which is why, like, last year, SLU was a one seed, but they they weren't really losing to the same – like, they were losing to a better caliber team because Mississippi State was good last year. Did you know that in like the mid two thousands, it was actually forty teams? That's weird. No, I did not they, know that. They would like give teams buys, and oh. in two thousand seven, they cut it back to thirty two. Which makes more sense. I think that making it complicated is dumb. Right. It just kind of yeah. It makes it a little a little weirder to follow. It's it's much easier to have the round number. Yeah. Oh well. Well, that's been nit talk. That's been a bunch of slew talk in general. I think this episode's pushing like an hour and a half. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, you know, you guys deserve it because we haven't recorded in a long time and uh, there's been a lot of stuff to cover. So hopefully we will talk to you guys all in a couple weeks or whenever that would work out, like before the Bills are in Madison Square Garden. That would but be if... March 29th would be the semifinal date. Cool, cool, cool. That would be, be two weeks from tomorrow. Cool. So... Hopefully we'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks. If not, we will do kind of a complete season recap slash off-season preview. Um, you know, maybe some recruiting stuff and transfer portal stuff if that becomes relevant. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope that this kicks off a good NIT run for the Bills. We hope you guys have fun watching the NCAA tournament and our successful betting, if that's your thing. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time.